Now, there was once a, a, a little boy, and he lived in the country, and they had to use an outhouse. Do you know what an outhouse is? Like the, 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 the old outhouse dunny type thing. And, um, and he hated the outhouse, because in summer, it was always hot, and in winter, it was freezing cold. So he hated it. And it always smelt. It stunk. So the little boy decided that because the outhouse was on the bank of a creek, uh, he, would, he, would, he would do something drastic. He'd push the outhouse into the water. And after the spring rains came, when the creek was fully, fully up, he got a big stick and, and levered the outhouse and pushed it into the creek, and it toppled and floated away. Later that night, his dad came to him and said, we're going to take a trip to the woolshed, woodshed. Now, he knew that a trip to the woodshed was not good because it meant dad was going to have to deal with him um, for doing something bad. And he asked his father why. And the father said, because I know you pushed the outhouse into the creek today. And I think it was you. I'll give you a chance to fess up. The boy answered, well, yes, dad, it was me. Then the little boy thought, and he said, Hey, Dad, today at school, I read that when George Washington cut down a cherry tree, he didn't get in trouble because he told the truth. And the father responded, Well, yes, but George Washington's father wasn't in the cherry tree. Most of us have never toppled a cherry tree or an outhouse. Maybe you have. But we can identify with this little boy in three ways. Firstly, we have something inside of us that inherently wants to do wrong stuff. Secondly, our mistakes often affect those around us. And thirdly, there's always consequences to our actions. We see all these things at work in the story of David. And the choices that he made. Jordan started us off last week with the starting life of, of David and, and uh, the good part of David as, as such. But we know that David's not a perfect man. We know that he's not perfect. So this morning we're going to uh, learn a little bit, like the boy in the outhouse, that there is something in us that always leans towards the wrong. This week we move past Saul's demise. We, we see David is taken into the throne and God has his man where God wants his man to be. A man after his own heart, David is now king. And David begins his journey as king and things just seem to be going well for David. Things just fall into place for him. After being bombarded by the surrounding nations uh, through the latter life of Saul, David steps in and he, he starts getting these victories. Victory after victory. Twice he defeated the threat of the Philistines and he freed Jerusalem from the hand of the Jebusites. And one battle against the Armenians, David's army defeated 40,000 of the Armenian army. And in turn, when all the nations who were in conjunction with the Armenians saw what had happened, they said, we've got to get to know this guy, and they made peace with Israel. Things were going pretty well for David, and you can read all of that in 2 Samuel chapter 10. Not only did David lead the nation in battle against many of the past sort of nations that were around them, David was also leading the nation in coming back to relationship with God. So David's leadership... 
was responsible for bringing the Ark of the Covenant, the sort of where they found God, into, back into Jerusalem. It came back in with this great fanfare of a parade. Um, if you watched the grand final parade on Friday, it made that look like a backstreet sort of little thing. David had celebrations happening as the Ark came back into the, the, the town. And the goodness of God was with them. And David was moved by the Spirit and he danced without any limitations. He danced with all his might. It seems there was the Spirit of God and there was rejoicing where the Spirit of God was. It might tell us a little bit about our understanding of worship even. Less about the sound or style, but more about the joy of the presence of God. I'm not going to talk too much about that. I think after every grand final, there is a joy and excitement from the winning team. And I tell you what, at that, at that final siren, when the siren went, there was ecstatic joy. We were in a house with there was about 15 of us. And it didn't matter who you were going for, this big yell of, yeah, just because... The intensity of the game had finished. We're singing together. We're in awe of it. And always there's one side that is sad. But for David, there was this great rejoicing. So all's going really well for David. All is going really well. It stems from David's heart that is a heart after God's own. David had now been this faithful shepherd boy to a faithful servant of the the king that the people had, had, had asked for and Saul. He'd become a faithful servant now as king of the nation. Under his leadership, Israel was going well. And it all comes back to the issue of the heart. David was a man after his own heart. That was until he tipped over the outhouse. If you have your Bibles, why don't you turn with me, I'll turn open your Bibles to Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to walk a little bit through David's mess this morning, uh, and we're going to see his consequences and how God restores him through it. So 2 Samuel chapter 11. In verse 2, we're told that David got up from his bed, so David couldn't sleep. Maybe he was preoccupied because he just sent a whole lot of people out to battle, and his battles that he's... People are waging, but we don't know why. Maybe he had um, bad reflux that night. I don't know why he got up, but he, he got out of bed. And, um, and in his sleepless state, he goes to the rooftop to get some fresh air. And from the rooftop, he looks across and he sees a beautiful girl taking a bath. Now, we can assume David doesn't go to the rooftop with a pair of binoculars ready to do some spying on his neighbours. We can assume that. And indeed, there is a case for David, if he saw his beautiful neighbour on the rooftop and then went, oh, I better go back inside, we think, well done, David. But for David, instead of removing himself, he went and tipped over the outhouse and pushed it in the creek. David didn't leave the rooftop. He just said, no. I think I need to have that person as my person. So he sent someone out to find out who she was. It happened to be this lady called Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, who happened to be away fighting battles for David. And once the outhouses started rolling down the hill towards the water, there was no stopping it. So David sends for Bathsheba to come to him. David sleeps with her and gets her pregnant. And now the outhouse has drifted so far down the the river, there was no turning back. And like that, we move from David being faithful king, bringing people back to the presence of God, to David, an adulterer, 
who decides he wanted to do things his way regardless of the consequences to satisfy his own self. So now we shake our heads at David. He should have known and done better. How could the fall happen so quickly? But we've got to remember, we all have something inside of us that leans towards the wrong. As we look around society, it happens, we see it again and again and again in our society, don't we? we, we none of us are immune to it. Think about world leaders who have fallen from grace when they start to do things in their own way. Politicians, sports people, musicians, businessmen, people in all sorts of spaces. They could have success, they could have fame, they could have wealth and power. They probably do, yet there's something in them that still wants something more. And it seems this human tendency, we get complacent with the values and the morals that define us in our toughest times. And we start to think we can topple at the outhouse without anybody knowing at all. And unfortunately, it's not just the wealthy or the successful or that that's a problem. It's each and every one of us. We all have something inside us that sort of leans towards the wrong. It's the person you work with. Maybe it's your relative. The person who thought marriage would be a breeze, and when it got tough, every other person had something more that they wanted. And then justification starts to set in. Jordan said, a, a great, I love Jordan's, um, what he said last week, the grass is always greener where you water it. Not on the other side, where you water it. I think that's a great line, Jordan. That's a great line. Grass is always, because you start watering over here when you should be over there, and it's going to look better. Maybe you fall into that trap yourself. It's not just about infidelity. It's to do with our moral compass. When we decide to take the plunge and tip the outhouse, we're breaking down all the moral things that have made us who we were. Money, status, our role in community. When we take things into our own hands, from our own selfish ambitions, we start to make the, break the moral systems that we once worked by. And for those who love Jesus... We sever the connection that we have with God who leads us in that. We say to God, God, your way is good. God, you provide for my needs. God, you do so much good for us, but in this one thing, I just need to do it myself. God, you're good. You've, you've provided me with a great job, but if I just do something to get rid of that person, it'll be so much better. So I'll go and do that, and I tip over the outhouse. You see, David had it all. He had the known world fearing him. He had a heart that beat in time with God's heart, but he decided to do things on his own, and he stayed on the rooftop. He didn't turn, and he didn't run. And he ends up committing adultery and ends up with a pregnant Bathsheba. But it gets worse for David. Because it's often this a case, when you start down a slippery slope, the slope just gets steeper and steeper. And this self-fulfillment that David finds himself trying to then cover up the mess that he's made, trying to make it better. And he, so he brings um, Bathsheba's husband Uriah home in the hope that he'll, he'll sleep with his wife and that they think that actually it's Uriah's going to be the father. But Uriah was a man of integrity. And he refuses to do that while, he's in the, while his people are in battle. So he sleeps with the servants instead. 
So David's plan, number one, is failed. So he spirals further. And so he sends Uriah into battle and secretly tells his commander to put him on the front line, basically condemning him to death. It's like the movies where you see the first line of soldiers run into battle and they're just running into the, the field of bullets. They wouldn't have bullets there, but just it's, it's like a death, a death trap. So Uriah was receiving a death sentence at David's command. But remember, we all have something inside us that leans towards the wrong. Our mistakes will often affect those around us. Uriah was affected pretty severely. In fact, Uriah was gone. So with Uriah out of the way, David marries Bathsheba and they have a son. And David gets away with his master plan. Surely, his master plan. Not God's master plan, his master plan. With God, there can be no cover-ups. And for David, his secret isn't hidden for long because we all have something inside us that links towards the wrong. Our mistakes often affect those around us, but there's always going to be a consequence for our choices. I love the story of the prophet Nathan. He comes to David with a story, and you can read about it in 2 Samuel 12. I encourage you to go home and read uh, through 2 Samuel a little bit more. Nathan uses this image of a rich man and his sheep taking the only sheep of a poor man to give to a traveller for a meal. And it sends David into a rage and he says, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. It was unjust. And David says, No, it can't happen. Only the story was all about him. And Nathan says to David, You're that man, 2 Samuel 12, 7. You're that man, David. You want to try and hide your selfishness? Well, you can't because it's here and it's going to slap you in the face. Nathan just doesn't call him out for the injustice of Uriah or the selfishness that he shows for taking Bathsheba. He calls him out for disregarding the Lord whom he danced unashamedly for earlier in his life. The, 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 the Lord that he gave his heart to. 2 Samuel 12, 9 says, Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You see, when we do things that are evil in the eyes of God, we're doing it in our own eyes. It starts to impact those around us. And there are consequences. It all happened to David, just as Nathan reminds him. It's not about his actions against others. Rather, he's acted against God. You can just start to hear the whispers around town. Did you hear about David? Did you hear about how he got Uriah killed? Did you hear how he got Bathsheba pregnant? Now, we said there's going to be consequences, and there were consequences, physical consequences. Firstly, the baby that dies, um, Bathsheba and David's first baby dies. That's a pretty severe consequence, isn't it? There are further consequences for his leadership, and that comes at a later stage. But we all make a mess of things, don't we? The reality is when we do things that are right in our own eyes, for our own gain, and our actions impact those around us, things start to be shown out. But here's the crux, and I don't want to dwell on David's mess so much. Because David's mess is no different to my mess. And David's mess is no different to your mess. It might look different. We might not do the same things. But it's no different no different to each of us because selfish gain comes across each of our minds all the time. 
And if we're really honest with ourselves, perhaps even just this last week, we've had to wrestle through this. And David, Israel's second king, surely will become just like Saul, the first king. Surely the same thing's going to happen. He's disregarded God, went against God's command, did things in a way that was only in his own eyes. That's what Saul did. So surely Saul was dispatched as king. David will be dispatched as king as well. Surely. But it doesn't happen that way. Because there's a crucial difference between Saul and David. And it doesn't have to do with their initial actions. It has to do with their response. See, when Saul is confronted by Samuel about his disobedience, Saul tried to rationalise it. Saul tried to make excuses for himself. He never owned up to the fact that he went his own way. His sin actually seems a lot less significant than, than, uh, than um, David's. Saul made a sacrifice to God on his own rather than waiting for the right person to come and make that sacrifice. It went on a little bit further than that, but that's the crux of it. David committed adultery and murder. Both were doing stuff to self-fulfill rather than doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And if we're talking about God's economy of sin, there's no sin hierarchy. Sin is sin. Saul and David were in exactly the same position as you and I, separated from God through our sin. We can relate to that, can't we? We all relate to that. So the big question we need to ask, why did God remove the kingdom from Saul and not from David? And the answer brings up an important principle for our lives. It's not about the ups and downs that we go through. Because we all go through ups and downs, is it? Don't we? We all go through ups and downs. We all go through times where we have low points and make bad decisions. But it's not about the ups and the downs. It's actually about the response of the heart to God. Our heart will continue to be pulled towards doing wrong. We will keep making mistakes that impact others. There will be consequences for action. But God looks at the heart response. When Saul was confronted by Samuel about his disobedience, Saul's response, it was rationalize it. Excuse your excuses, he's trying to make excuses for his behavior. David, on the other hand, responds to Nathan's accusations with six simple words. I have sinned against the Lord. 2 Samuel 12, 13. David admits before God to his wrongdoings. And in doing so, he takes responsibility for his mess. But David didn't just take responsibility for his mess in an earthly perspective. He says, he doesn't just say, I've sinned against Uriah, I've sinned against Bathsheba. But David acknowledges that his error has a greater kingdom consequence. I have sinned against the Lord. And in response, David grabs his notepad and paper and writing and writing implements, whatever they used back there, grabs his guitar, goes into a field. And he writes this incredible song, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. You know, we have to understand that God knows that we're going to break the rules he set. 
that were going to often tip over the outhouse. God's been dealing with that since the first humans were made. God doesn't take it lightly. Saul's a case in point. However, God brings each of us a very special gift. And that gift is forgiveness. Forgiveness for those who acknowledge mistakes. 1 John 1.9 tells us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins. See, God is more interested in the response of the heart rather than having a punishment for disobedience. God wants us wants to know, are you teachable in this space? God wants us to know, are you humble enough to come back to me? Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to grow? Or are we like Saul, proud, defensive? Well, you didn't come in time, oblivious to the real need of God's forgiveness and grace. It's a matter of the heart. And as we see that, regardless of the atrocity of David's actions, David is given a starring role in the honour role of people of faith. If you look in the Hebrews Faith Hall of Fame. David's remembered for his heart after God, not his moral moments of blindness. And so let's take heart in that. Because we've all heard all the way through the story of God that we humans aren't perfect. We know this. Try as we might, it just doesn't happen, and we go our own way. The earth was perfect, and the selfishness of man broke that perfect world. And we're the consequence of that. And part of it is that we make a mess of things. And I stand here this morning saying, I'm making a mess of things as much as anyone else. I get things wrong. I turn from God when I really need to be running right into his arms. And whether you want to admit it or not, you're in the same boat. So for David, God chose to keep him as the leader of his people regardless of the mess that he made. The outhouse is well and truly sunk and God says, it's okay, we can build another one. I wonder if you've got a, a good scar. Has anyone got a good scar? I've got a couple of decent scars. I've got some on my knee, some on my belly from my appendix. I've got a, a couple of these scars, but I like a good scar because you know what a scar is. A scar is a reminder that something didn't quite go right at some stage. Something didn't go right at some stage. It's a lasting visual reminder of a painful moment. The scar may never go. The pain of the moment does, but the scar may never leave. And David bore the scars of his disobedience, regardless of his repentance. You see, God's forgiveness restores us into right relationship with him. However, it doesn't erase the consequence of our action. Everything in David's life prior to his moment of madness with Bathsheba was going well. After, everything went downhill pretty rapidly. The baby that they were to have dies. His daughter is, is, um, is raped. His son, Absalom, rebels against his father and tries to take his throne. Then he's killed. Um, Absalom's killed in battle. It goes on and on. The story of David, from what Jordan gave us last week to where he is now, is quite sad. That's what I think makes uh, 1 Chronicles 29 so amazing. If you haven't read it, you go back and read it. David could have uh, become very bitter and angry with God for not stepping in and preventing all of this from happening. David could have become bitter and angry with God for all the things that happened. Yet at the end of his time on earth, David still had a deep love for his Lord. And his parting wish was that he would build a temple for the Lord. 
He didn't quite get there, but he got the ball rolling. He got the supplies. He gathered supplies together for the extravagant temple that was going to be built. He motivates others to give sacrificially. And at the end, when all the supplies were gathered, he praised God for the blessings that God had given them. After all that had happened in his life, after all the mess that he had made, he still praised God. And in 1 Chronicles 29, 10-13, it says, Praise be to you, Lord. Praise God, our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatest greatness and power, and the glory and the majesty and splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Your, yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted over as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give thanks and praise your glorious name. You know, the very human story of David, he could have just been another kid leveraging the outhouse into the stream. David saw something he wanted. It seemed right to him. And in the very human story, it was a mess. Yet in God's greater story, God finds a way to use a deeply flawed man for his purposes. David's confession, his repentance, and his continual praise in spite of the circumstances brought the abundant grace of God to his life. And whilst there were scars, whilst there were pain, whilst there was hurt, he still praised God to the end. You know, you may have made decisions in your life that had deep consequences. Maybe they've left the scars that linger, their deep hurts. Yet I want to tell you this morning, as we've seen with David, God is a God of grace. God is a God of forgiveness that when we acknowledge, when we confess to him, rather than making excuses, he embraces us. There was once a a woman who was caught in the act of adultery before and brought before Jesus. And the crowd is eager to condemn her. Jesus, knowing the hearts of the crowd, says, let the, let the one without sin cast the first stone. One by one, the accusers dropped their stones and left. And Jesus and the lady were the only ones left. He asked, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? She replies, not one, Lord. Jesus, filled with compassion, says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. In this moment, Jesus showed that God is a God of ultimate grace for those who acknowledge their wrongs and seeking a new path. Each of us are somehow in the same spot. Can each of us throw that first stone? Of course we can't. But with God's great forgiveness, we can live a new life, a redeemed life with Christ. And I'm sure that woman did too. So when you tip the outhouse into the creek, be willing to accept those consequences, but confidently knowing that the God of grace is one who will redeem, one who will restore through Jesus Christ. I wonder this morning... Is there anything that you need to bring to God? Is there anything that you need to to do to be like David? To come to God in his mistakes rather than give excuses as to why it happened.
And I wonder this morning if we can step back into our worshipful space of love for God, restored regardless of our past and the scars of it. Because if God does it for David, God continues to do it for us. So I'm going to leave just a, a few moments of space for you to consider what God might be saying to you now. If there's anything to bring across to him, I encourage you to do that in this, just this quiet moment. And I'll pray and I'll invite the band forward. So our Lord, this morning as we've explored David and the failings that he had, we are encouraged that you continue to use him in mighty ways. That God, you restored him to wholeness. That you led him to goodness. And our Lord, I pray that this morning, if there's any here that need that sense of your forgiveness in their lives, that you will be with them, that they will reach to you and seek you and your ultimate grace. We give you thanks and praise. Amen.